We saw last week about the coronation of Saul. They wanted a king so they could be like all the other nations. Isn't that terrible? Now we have a czar that wants us like all the other nations. And so we're all on the same flat playing ground. Nobody has anything except the king. <laughs> anyway, Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. How would we ever know what to think and how to react to things if we didn't have your wisdom from this book? How wonderful it is. And we thank you that you preserved it so wonderfully all these thousands of years. Bless this time together as we look at this part. Paul said that all these things in the Old Testament were written for our examples. He said this to the Corinthians, for our learning. So these are example books. And so we find these examples of how not to be a king like Saul. And we're going to see that he had some good qualities, but then he, was, uh, he wanted to do things his own way. And that's not good. He, God wanted him to do things his way. So bless us as we look at Saul in Jesus' name. Amen. So we saw the coronation of Saul, and uh, the last verse said, Saul went home to Gibeah, three miles north of Jerusalem, and that's where the concubine of the Levite, who had sought hospitality there, remember we read that in Judges? She was murdered, and then he hacked her in pieces and sent 12 parts to all the tribes for war against Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. And they were going to wipe out Benjamin. That's how the book of Judges ends. Then we come to Samuel. So Saul was from, he was a Benjaminite. Gibeah was his hometown. And valiant men went with Saul, the next to the last verse of the 10th chapter, whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, see, they're always enemies like Netanyahu today. He has enemies among his own people there trying to undo him and um, he has enemies other places too, unfortunately. America, for example. There were rebels amongst his own people. How can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. So he didn't do anything to these rebels then. Then Nahash, that means serpent in Hebrew. The serpent, the Ammonite. Now, you remember where the Ammonites came from? from Esau and Ammon. They came way back from Ammon, and they were inveterate enemies of Israel. So Nahash the Ammonite, they lived east of the Jordan, and they encamped against Jabesh-Gilead, which is still east of the Jordan. Jabesh-Gilead was on the border of Nahash's property of Ammon, Jordan. It's where Jordan is today. They were tired of being squashed down by the Ammonites. So they said, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. So here these Jewish people had knuckled under. When there, there'd be, you know, God gave them the land, but they're far from the Lord during the time of Judges and Samuel. It's, it's a rough time for Israel. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them when they said they wanted to make a treaty with him. So Nahash the Ammonite answered, On this condition I'll make a covenant with you, that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all of Israel. Well, now see, if they put out all their right eyes, they can't fight. It would just incapacitate them for war. And the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off, 
for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. Now that was quite something. Give us a little time and see if we can't get a little help. Well, that, you know, can you imagine? But they said, okay. And then, if there's no one to save us, we will come out to you, if nobody comes to help us. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, where Saul was in Benjamin's territory, and told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. They were just cowed down. They would lost all their courage. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. So Saul was out farming. And Saul said, What troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused. So this was good. He was furious that these people were doing this to his people. His anger was greatly aroused. So he took a yoke of oxen, cut them in pieces, and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so shall it be done to his oxen. I'll hack them in pieces. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. When he numbered them in Bezek, um, that's 17 miles north of Shechem, which is where a beautiful valley right near where they first came across the Jordan. So we numbered them in Bezek. The children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who came, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. So they get these 330,000 soldiers. Saul marched all night. Now this was very smart so he could pounce on them unawares. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh. And they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you. He said to Nahash the serpent, <laughs> this Ammonite king, um, And you may do with us whatever seems good to you. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch. So he marched all night and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. So he really did a wonderful job there. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he who said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. Say, Who were these rebels that didn't want Saul as, as king? They said, We'll get these rebels and we'll kill them. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. See, this was noble of him. Saul has good qualities and noble qualities too. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, reaffirmed Saul's kingship there, and they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. And now Samuel said to all Israel, this is Samuel's farewell address. Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you said to me and have made a king over you. See, he was the last of the judges. And they said, we don't want the Lord to be king over us. We want to have a king like all the other nations. I've listened and made a king over you. And now here is the king walking before you. And I am old and gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. 
Here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed, before Saul. Whose ox have I taken? Evidently none. Whose donkey have I taken? Nobody's. Or whom have I defrauded? I haven't defrauded anybody. Or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. Then he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron, and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you, and to your father. So he's reminding the people how great God was in taking care of them. And so he's recounting everything, including their disobedience. When Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor. See, this was the first thing that we read about in Judges, that this woman killed him, ran a tent peg through his head. Remember, he was a captain of the Syrian host, the army of Hazor. God let them be captured by Sisera into the hand of the Philistines, and that's another group that lived on the seacoast. And they were furious with them all the time, too. And into the hand of the king of Moab, the Moabites and the Ammonites. See, the Ammon and Moab were these children of, of Lot by his daughters. They were just <laughs> enemies always, the Moabites and the Ammonites. And they cried out to the Lord when the king of Moab took hold of them and captured them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we've forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtoreths. And now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. And the Lord sent Barak. This should be uh, not Bedan, but Barak. So says the Septuagint. This must have been a printer's error. And the Lord sent Barak and Jerubal, which is Gideon, Jephthah and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelt in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, now this breaks us back to chapter 11 about this Nahash, this serpent. When you saw that he came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Now, therefore, here is the king whom you've chosen and whom you've desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord. You see, obedience is so important to the Lord. If you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers when they rebelled and were disobedient. Now, therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord. Now, it never rained during the wheat harvest in the summer. So it was unheard of in early summer, really. But so God is going to do a miracle. He said, I'll call to the Lord through Samuel, and he will send thunder and rain. 
that you may perceive. This will be a sign, and you will see that your wickedness is great, which you've done in the sight of the Lord, in asking a king for yourselves. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we've added to all our sins the evil of asking for a king for ourselves. Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear, you have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they're nothing. When you turn away from the Lord, everything is empty and there's nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. And we've seen this all through the Old Testament so far. He said, not because you're more populous than any others or greater or anything, just because I want to serve you, to help you because of Abraham, my servant. Moreover, as for me, Samuel said, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, and I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. This would be a great prayer for us, to serve him in truth and consider what great things he's done for you and you and me. For if you still do wickedly, If you still persist in your wickedness, you will be swept away, both you and your king. And that brings us to the end of the Old Testament. They're swept away to Babylon, Persia, and they're there for 70 years. And Saul reigned one year. And when he had reigned two years over Israel, they all say this is a very difficult passage, but I think the new King James is really right. After he'd reigned one year and two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. So Jonathan, his son, had 1,000 warriors with him down in Gibeah, their hometown. Saul had 3,000 men at Michmash, which is near Jerusalem. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his house, to his tent, And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines. Now, this tells you a lot about Jonathan. What a wonderful young man. What a, you know, for this father to have such a delightful son. It is just wonderful when you see about his bravery. And, well, let's just look at him a little bit about Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it, that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. See, the Philistines, just like the Ammonites, had been ruling over Israel, and they had just quashed them down. Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it, and that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw they were in danger, for the people were distressed, 
Then the people hid in caves. They were scared to death of these Philistines. And then these people, they hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. And all the people followed him trembling. Then Saul waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. In 1 Samuel 10, 8, he said, you wait for seven days and I'll come. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, and Samuel didn't come to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. They began to leave him when Samuel didn't come, defect, and so he had fewer and fewer warriors with him. They began to leave, and Saul said, bring a burnt offering. So this was one of the terrible things that he did. He was not a Levite, and God is very particular in the way he gets worshipped in the Old Testament. It had to be a certain way. And when you read through the law, it's God's way or no way at all. You do things God's way. And God gave it to the Levites, and they were to do the sacrificing. Saul said, bring me, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And Saul offered the burnt offering. He acted as a priest. Now, there's someday there's going to be a king priest over the whole earth, and his name is Jesus. He's going to be both, not Saul. Saul was king, but not priest. And he offered a burnt offering. Like the careless handling of the ark at Beth Shemesh, Saul had resisted God's holy standards, so he didn't follow the standards that the Lord had. Now, the burnt offering was the first of their five offerings, and it pictured Jesus as a whole burnt offering, the whole animal offered to God. And Jesus was a whole burnt offering, so to speak, when he died on the cross. He covered everything. He took care of all of our sins. And so the burnt offering pictures the death of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now, as happened, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, that Samuel came. So... Imagine, Samuel was late, but he came. As soon as he came, offering the burnt offering, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you didn't come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. Well, he maybe had good intentions, but see, it was totally opposite of what the Lord had said they should do, the way he should be worshipped. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue, Saul. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. Saul, Jonathan, his son, and the people who were present with him remained in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned on the road that leads to Ophrah, to the land of Shual, 
Another company turned the road to Beth Horon. Another company turned on the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found in all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. Do you see how the Philistines had just was ruling over them, really. There are no blacksmiths, so that they couldn't sharpen their tools and their weapons. They couldn't sharpen their swords or anything. There was no blacksmith in all the land of Israel. So all the Jewish people had to go down to Philistine land to use their blacksmith. There was no blacksmith for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. We'll take all the blacksmiths away. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for a sharpening was a hefty pim for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes. So it was very profitable to the Philistines. Well, a pim, uh, what does he say a pim is? It was more than should have been. And they should have had their own blacksmiths, but no, they didn't. So the charge for sharpening was a pim for all of these weapons and goads. And it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that's on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. So he undertook a secret mission into the enemy camp. Just he and his armor bearer. What courage he had. And Saul was sitting at the outskirts of Gibeah, his hometown, under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahidib, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan was gone. Some translations about the ark, but it's an ephod. The ark had been long gone into another place up north of Jerusalem. So an ephod, which is what the priest wore, and it told them whether yes or no answers. I've often wondered about that, the ephod that had a black stone and a white stone. And I wouldn't doubt but what, with what we know today, and God knows much more than we know today, they could speak. Maybe it said, don't go up, or do go up. But some say the white one would light up, yes, go. The black stone, no, don't go. It was a yes or no, but maybe it spoke too. It wouldn't surprise me that God would do that. He could easily do that. And Ahijah, he was wearing an ephod, verse 3. But the people did not know that Jonathan had left. Now between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, evidently the huge rocks, and they could go in, kind of like, you know, when you go down in Jordan, where they go through that narrow path, to see where the Edomites used to live. Anyway, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. The name of one was Bozes and the name of the other, Senna. The front of one faced northward toward opposite Michmash and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. 
Do you see the faith he had in the Lord? Different than his father. But see, what do you think that the Philistines are going to think? They think they're defected. They're going to join us. Saul's son is, is leaving. He's going to come with us. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that's in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say thus to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you something. So Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor-bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor-bearer killed them. That first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made, was about 20 men within about a half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp in the field among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earthquake, so there was an earthquake, so that it was a very great trembling. Now the watchman of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was a multitude melting away. So Saul had spies looking out to, from his lookout place, and he could see all of the Philistines melting away, just leaving. And they went here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll, and see who is gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For at that time the ark was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to the battle, and indeed every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was very great confusion. Now this is going to happen in this great battle in Ezekiel 38. In fact, we may be turned back to Ezekiel 38 just a minute. Ezekiel 38, that wonderful chapter of all of these Arab peoples coming down on Israel that could happen any time soon. It said, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. This sounds familiar. And so Russia, Moscow, Tobals, prophesy against him and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. And this is going to happen. This is still future because in the preceding chapters of Ezekiel, first of all, Israel has to be regathered from, from the ash heap of history and brought back to life and put in their land again. We're seeing that today. Then there's going to be this great invasion of these people are going to come. Persia, Iran, Ethiopia, and Libya, all of them. They're all Muslim, aren't they? With shield and helmet. Gomer, so this is Europe and eastern Turkey. 
the house of Togrim or Turkey again from the far north. So it's always far north of Israel. So all of these people, and you see how the Muslims are taking most of Europe and all of this territory, getting ready for this very battle. And Gomer and all of his troops, the house of Togomer, in the far north, see, far north of Israel, that would be Russia and all that territory up there. Many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited in the latter years. So that means at the end of time, before Jesus comes back to rule, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. It has had it. But now they're back in the land and starting to come in droves. They say that they're leaving Europe because of the anti-Semitic violence against them. And they're being invited back. And Netanyahu said, we'll build houses for you. You come. So in the latter years, they're back in the land dwelling safely. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I'm going up against this land, Israel, of unwalled villages. I'll go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder, to take booty, and stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. We could add an oil and all these other benefits that Israel has. Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, this would be the Western nations. All the young lions will say, that sounds like England, will plunder. They say, have you come to plunder and gather your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, livestock and goods, to take great plunder? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Sounds like they've made a peace treaty with somebody. Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding horses, a great company, and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I'm hallowed in you, O God, before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I've spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? And it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. See, we saw a little bit with Jonathan in the earthquake against the Philistines, but this is going to be much huger. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath, I've spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. So that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down. The steep places shall fall. And every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against God throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. And here's the verse, every man's sword will be against his brother. So God is going to have all of these people like Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, all of them, they start fighting each other, just like happened in the time of Jonathan. 
it also happened again in Haggai chapter 2, verse 22. I will bring him to judgment with pestilence, bloodshed. I'll rain down on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. And anyway, this goes on, and you can read the rest of it there, but the same thing happened. Every man's sword was against his neighbor, verse 20 of chapter 14. There was great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after the men to the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. That means house of iniquity. It was near Ai, where they crossed over the Jordan in that first city of Ai. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under an oath. Now, this was a very foolish thing for him to do. Don't make an oath. Don't promise something that you can't fulfill. And be very careful. Remember Jephthah's oath that he made, the foolish one, about the first thing that came out of his door? He sacrifice it to the Lord. Well, that was his daughter. So he made in people an oath saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. This was unnecessary. Now all the people of the land came to a forest and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping, but no one put his hand to his mouth for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan hadn't heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand, dipped it in a honeycomb, put his hand to his mouth, and his countenance brightened him, revived him. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. But Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened I'm refreshed because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. For now would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines. Now that they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Agilon, so the people were very faint. And the people rushed on the spoil. And they took sheep, oxen, and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people were so starving, they ate them with the blood. And that was one other thing. You do not eat with the blood. You drain. You don't eat the fat or the blood. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And God said, I've given the blood upon the altar to make an atonement for your soul. Then they told Saul, saying, Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep. Slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. And Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. Then they said, Do whatever seems good to you. Then the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. So Saul asked counsel of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? 
But God did not answer him that day. And Saul said, Come over here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see what this sin was today. See, why isn't God answering me? For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But not a man among all the people answered him. Then he said to all Israel, You be on one side, and my son Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, Give a perfect lot, we'll cast a lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, Cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. So Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you've done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand, so now I must die. And Saul answered, God do so and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. But the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has accomplished this great salvation in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. So Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab and the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed them. And he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Jeshuai, and Malkishua. And the names of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn was Mereb, and the name of the younger, Michael. The name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner. Just mark that. He was the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. So you see, they were related. Kish was the father of Saul. So Abner was Saul's uncle. And we're going to see he was a mighty warrior and what terrible thing happened to him. Now there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me. Samuel then comes to talk to Saul. This is Saul's second great failure. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish what Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him on the way when he came up from Israel. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman infant, nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now let's look back here and see about Amalek. In Deuteronomy 25, turn back there just a minute. When they came out of Egypt, the first thing they met was this fierce tribe, the Amalekites. When Moses is rehearsing the laws, verse 17, remember what Amalek did to you. Here's the background of Amalek. Esau Eliphaz and Amalek. You remember who Esau was, Jacob and Esau. And Esau hated Jacob, didn't he? And then his son was Eliphaz. Does that name ring a bell to you from a certain book? Job. Job, the book of Job. One of his 
supposed friends was Eliphaz. Well, Eliphaz is coming and saying, a spirit came to me in the night. Well, then right away you think, when you read the book of Job and see these names, you think, well, who pay any attention to what he says, what Eliphaz says? He was in the, the occult. He was ever, wrong. And God told him how wrong he was later on in the book of Job. So here's the background. Esau begat Eliphaz, and Eliphaz, one of his sons, was Amalek. And when you follow the uh, Amalekites down through You've come clear down to the Herods. They were Amalekites. And so when you come to the book of Esther, what was Haman? The Agagite. So Agag came from the same family. All right, now, so we're going to see this. Remember what Amalek did to you? How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, the old people, the lame people, when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. That's the worst thing about Amalek. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God has given you, Moses is saying this, you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. So Saul didn't do this. They're probably right over there now among the Palestinian people, the same family. He hasn't done it yet, but he's going to. So back to where we are, verse 3 of chapter 15. Go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and don't spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them and telling him 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men. This is a few miles south of Beersheba, so way south of Israel and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, now the Kenites were nomadic Midianites related to Abraham through his wife after Sarah died. He said to the Kenites, they always liked Israel. Go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. See, the Lord remembers what people do to Israel. I'm very sorry what he, he's going to remember what we are doing to them now. And it's very fearsome to think what can happen to America because of the stand of our State Department and our present government. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, see, Esau, Eliphaz, Amalek, Agag. So Agag is the son of Amalek. Just write this down in your margin. Esau, Eliphaz, Amalek, Agag. And he also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. What did God say? Killed them all. But he took Agag captive. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, oxen and fatlings, and the lambs and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he's turned back from following me. Now the Lord never changes his mind, but sometimes when people act 
not in accordance with what God intends, he acts differently toward them. God doesn't change, but people change. And Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep. And so the Lord said, I regret that I've made Saul as king, for he's turned back from following me, hasn't performed my commandments, and it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night. He just can't get over that Saul, he'd anointed him, and he's tall, dark, and handsome, wonderful-looking fellow. And so when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around. You know, these kings, when they would win something, would put a monument for themselves. And I have one here. I have it in the front of my Bible someplace. Shelley wrote this. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frowned and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on those lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on that pedestal, he made a pedestal for himself or a monument. These words appear on the pedestal. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my work, ye mighty in despair. Nothing beside remains round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare. The lone and level sands stretch far away. <laughs> so that's what Saul made one too for himself. The kings used to make monuments for himself. So he was going to make one about his great victory over Agag. He's gone on around past and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I've performed all the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, Well, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, Well, they brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the people. See, I didn't do it. Somebody else did it. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Like Adam and Eve. Eve did it. <laughs> we say today the devil did it. And Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes... You know, at first he was hiding behind the stalks of wheat. When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you sweep down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek, and I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder. The people did. They took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been sacrificed, utterly destroyed, to sacrifice. The reason we saved them, so that we could sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Then Samuel said, and this is a very famous saying, that you ought to underline. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. 
that's a verse to memorize. To obey is better than giving money or doing sacrifice or doing anything. To obey is better than sacrifice and to listen to the Lord than the fat of rams. For rebellion, that's what you have, Saul. Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft, divination, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Do we know any rebels? Do we know stubborn people? Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people. He's always way out. I did it because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Do you see the lessons that we can learn from these stories? Our example book. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. I can look good still in front of the people. That's what he's really saying. And Samuel turned around to go away and Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel, that would be the Lord, will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then Saul said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me, that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously. And the Hebrew is unclear, Dr. Ryrie said. It may mean trembling or in fetters. And he said, better translated, now comes bitter death. Bring him to me. And so he said, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So we'll stop here. And um, in one of the notes, I think it was Dr. Unger, he said, Albright has excavated a rustic palace of Saul's in Gibeah. So they found this place where Saul lived in Gibeah. So next week we'll start with chapter 16, and we'll see how far we get about David chosen. Oh, I love this. Lord, thank you for this time in your word. Bless it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.